Well, our fall focus throughout our worship services here at Northside has been the simple word, multiply. And we've learned how divine grace multiplies in human lives with miraculous results. God blesses us richly and then calls us to respond in turn. Today's sermon is addition and multiplication. And we are revisiting a scripture passage we considered earlier in the series. It's Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38. As you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of the gospel. Jesus is speaking. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Amen. Would you please be seated? My daughter took geometry during her sophomore year of high school. And one evening, she was studying for her test and asked her dear old dad for some help on a review question. It read, In a test run, a plane traveled D miles per hour for E hours and was 36 miles short of its destination when a prearranged amount of time ran out. If the test were to be conducted again, how long would it take the plane to reach the same destination if the rate of travel were increased by 10 miles per hour? I looked at the problem and then turned to my daughter and said, Katie, you would really learn a whole lot more if you figured this out yourself. Uh, my ability to help my children with math ended somewhere in middle school. And even when I could figure out the right answer, I would do it the wrong way. And they would whine, that's not how the teacher taught us to do it. And I joined generations of parents who complain about the new math. We nostalgically recall the good old days when students just had to memorize how to do a problem and they didn't have to understand why. On today's scripture lesson, Jesus is teaching the geometry of heaven's kingdom about giving and receiving, of forgiving and being forgiven, and how the measure we use is measured back to us. This is not how the world does math. Old math teaches you in a subtraction problem, you are always left with less. That in a division problem, the quotient is naturally going to be less than the dividend. The more you give, the less you have. The more you keep, the more you possess. There's only so much pie to go around. Make sure you slice a piece and as big a piece as possible. And this makes sense to us in a worldly way because that's how life works. But then Jesus comes along and teaches this new math of God's kingdom where subtraction becomes addition and division, multiplication. The more you give, the more you have. The more you keep, 
the less you possess. Eat all the pie you want, enjoy it, and share it with others. We can always make more pie. King Solomon posed this word problem in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. One person gives freely, yet gains all the more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Now, this may not make sense to our minds, but it resonates with our hearts and with our souls. Consider for a moment the love we share with others in our relationship. And imagine that you could quantify love into pints and quarts and gallons. Then consider this word problem. You have five gallons of love and you give four away. How many gallons of love are left? The world would immediately say, one gallon. But our experience teaches us otherwise. For those who have chosen to get married, we didn't love our siblings or parents less because we now had to love a spouse. Our love grew to encompass that new person in our family. And if, as a spouse, you decided to have a child, you didn't love your spouse less because there was now a child in the house. The love grew even more. Well, let's suppose you decided to have a second child. You don't take that parental love and divide it 50-50. Love continues to grow. And what we discover is the more we love, the more we are loved. The more we give of ourselves to others, the more we receive in turn. It's the measure we use that is measured back to us. And we may start with a single scent of love, grace, mercy, kindness, forgiveness. But when we spend it, the Holy Spirit doubles it the next day and then doubles it again. And we experience this amazing geometric progression of grace because you can't outgive God. And the more we give of ourselves in love to God and to others, the more we grow in love and the more we understand what it means to love. There's a story I shared several years ago with some of you. It, I served First United Methodist Church of West Point from 1995 to 2000. And Gladys Osley was a lifelong member of the congregation. Died before I got there, but I still heard stories about Miss Gladys. She loved her church. She loved coming to church on Sunday morning, but she also loved coming to church on Sunday evening. And we had volunteers that would drive the church van around the neighborhood and pick up anybody who wanted to come to worship, and it was primarily older women. And Miss Gladys always sat on the front passenger side. She said it was because she had motion sickness. The reality was that was Miss Gladys' spot, and everybody knew not to sit there. Gladys also worked at Batson Cook Construction Company's office in downtown West Point. And she was never a wealthy woman. And there came a needed, needful point in her life when she had to borrow some money from her employer. And it was devastating to her pride. And she vowed to give it back slowly over time. But several years later, when she retired, part of her gift was a letter from the company forgiving the debt. Miss Gladys died in December of 1987. 
And a few weeks later, a member of the family showed up at the Batson's Cook Construction Company's office with a check in hand. It turned out she had taken out a life insurance policy to pay back the loan. Batson Cook accepted the check on one provision, that the family would allow them to donate it in Gladys' honor back to the church. The church took the check and bought a new church van which continued to drive around the neighborhood every Sunday evening to bring the older people, primarily women, to church. And on the front of the van was its name, Miss Gladys. And the gift goes on and on and on. You give to someone else, they receive and give back, and you watch God's grace multiply in our lives as well as in the lives of others. And it's counterintuitive, but we experience it over and over again in our Christian lives. One example is missions and ministry. I cannot tell you how many times I hear people come away from a mission opportunity of serving others, of spending their time, their money, their energy, their emotions, and the comment is, I got so much more out of it than I put into it. Reverend Angela talked a few moments ago about the Murphy Harps Christmas tree. Let me tell you how grateful I am for this congregation because you enable those children to have what may be for some of them the first time an amazing Christmas. And this church is generous, and I encourage you after the service to go by and pick up an ornament or two or three. We give so little, and it means so much. And we won't personally be able to see their faces on Christmas morning when they experience it, but we can at least imagine it. How has God blessed your life? All the different resources that we have. Many of you are aware John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist movement back in the 1700s, and he was actually a pretty astute business person as well. And he had three simple rules for managing resources in general, and money in particular, and they were these. First of all, make all you can. See, every time I share that principle here at church, I expect amens across the congregation. <laughs> There's no one here opposed to making all you can. That's a good thing. We're not, that's, we celebrate that. Make all you can. Thank you. <laughs> the second one is save all you can. And then the third is give all you can. And when you read Wesley's biography, he practiced this in his life. Again, an astute businessman made a fair amount of money over his lifetime. He maintained the same lifestyle. And I don't know how it works in your household, but lifestyle tends to expand to our income. But he maintained the same lifestyle, and anything he got in excess, he gave back to ministry, to mission, to the poor. He saw that money placed in his hands as a resource given to him by God. Now consider a more modern example. Bill Gates, who is a household name. We all know Bill Gates and his backstory. I was reading an article last month. It says his estimated net worth right now is $110 billion with a B. His wife, ex-wife Melinda, has to get by on only $12 billion. But if you've read the stories, you also know they have formed a foundation, and their stated goal is to give most of their money away by the time both of them die. 
And I know what you're thinking because I think the same thing every time I read stories like that. If I had billions of dollars, I would be extremely generous. Every time I'm driving down the interstate and the mega millions has gone up into an astronomic figure, I just daydream about what I might do with that money and all the different projects I would underwrite and how I could help other people. God could care less with what you're going to do with what you do not possess. God cares a lot about how we manage what we've got. There's an old <laughs> preacher story about the pastor visiting a farmer during the stewardship campaign, and he was talking with me. He said, now, John, if you inherited a million dollars, would you tithe on that and give 100000 to the church? The farmer thought about it for a moment. He said, you know, preacher, if I inherited a million dollars, I believe I, that's exactly what I'd do. And he said, and John, suppose that your farm just grew tremendously and you had 10,000 acres on your farm. Would you be willing to give 1,000 of those acres to the church? Farmer got excited by this point. He said, you know, preacher, that's exactly what I would do. And the pastor said, and John, if you had 10 pigs, and all of a sudden the farmer looks very alarmed. He said, no, wait a minute, preacher. You know I got 10 pigs. We are called to be stewards with what we've got and not with what we don't have. One author said, stewardship is everything we do after saying, I believe. It encompasses every aspect of life. It's just one of the most concrete and measurable ways we are stewards is through the use of our money and our material resources. I shared with you earlier in the series that Herb Miller talks about money being condensed personality, that it reveals who we are and what we value. Another author said that fundraising is humanity's way of raising money, but stewardship is God's way of raising God's children. I told you, I've told you this before, I didn't go into the ministry to raise money. I went into the ministry to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And I've become more and more convinced over the years that this is a vital area where many people get hung up and when you free people to give, you free them to grow in grace. This morning we are culminating our months-long Multiply series. We're also culminating our stewardship emphasis this fall. And let me just very plainly say to you as your pastor please complete your commitment card today. We've got physical forms that are available. You can go online and do so as well. Your commitment enables us to plan ministry and mission for the upcoming year. And I would like you to consider some new math questions as you do so. First of all, how much do you give to God's work here at Northside in dollar amount or percentage of income? Secondly, consider my reading of the Bible is a tithe or a tenth of our income is God's standard. How close do we come to approximating that? I read a recent study that shows the average United Methodist gives about 1.7% of their income to the church. If we had all of our members tithe, we would be having church meetings three nights a week just to try to figure out how to spend it. Do you give with joy and excitement? Or begrudgingly? Do you give a set amount and you determine ahead of time, or do you just wait to see what's left over?
I will say, I sometimes have people very sincerely approach me or somebody in the finance office and say, what if I make a commitment to the church and then my financial situation changes? Just tell the finance office. If you can't do as much as you had promised or if you can do more. I will also point out most of us make financial commitments on a regular basis. Credit card companies expect to be paid off at the end of each month. Car loans are monthly bills. Most of us have a mortgage that requires a monthly commitment as well. And are you ready to grow in financial faithfulness and maybe take a step? Again, let me say this lovingly because I want us all to grow in faith. Every church member ought to complete a commitment card. It's a part of what we vow when we join the church. I'll support the church with my prayers, presence, gifts, service, witness. Do something, and then watch how God grows that in your life. Because as you give, you learn to give even more. And I will warn you, this is not how the world does math. Because in the world's old math, subtraction always ends up with a lesser number. That division, the quotient, is smaller than the dividend. And that there's only so much pie to go around. But God's math is different. The more you give, the more you receive. The more you try to hold on to, the more it slips out of your hands and enjoy all the pie you want and share it with others because we will make more. Give and receive and give and receive again and again because you can't outgive God. Let us pray. Gracious and almighty God, we cup our hands together and realize how you have blessed us to the overflowing. And that is what we give out of, that anything that we share with others, that we share with your church is but a token of loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Teach us how the measure we use is measured back to us, and we are opening our lives more fully to your blessings and to your grace in our life. Bless and keep us in Christ's name we pray it. Amen.